0: and welcome to the Politics Home podcast. I'm your host for the week, Matt Honeycomb-Foster, news editor here at Politics Home, and I'm delighted to be joined this week by our ace reporter John Johnston, a man who dreams in stories and speaks to his loved ones in news headlines. Hello John. Hello. And joining us again is Sienna Rogers. Sienna is the editor of the LabourList website, which is essential reading for Labour members, activists and MPs, as well as the rest of us nerds who like to know what Labour's really thinking. A very warm welcome to you, Sienna. Hello. Um, it's fair to say that quite a bit has happened since last week's podcast when we were all feverishly speculating about whether Theresa May was going to resign. feels a bit like yesterday's news now. And all eyes are on the race to succeed her as Tory leader and Prime Minister. The party was hit by an absolute mauling in the European elections, ceding ground to Nigel Farage's new Brexit party while the resurgent pro-Remain Lib Dems gave Labour a bit of a headache of its own and put Jeremy Corbyn's fudged position on a second referendum firmly under the spotlight. Let's start by talking about the Tory leadership race. I know you guys are itching to talk about these candidates. Um, John, we've we've got about three hours, so who's thrown their hat into the ring (laughs) so far?
1: I was thinking about this on the way over. What is the collective noun for a group of Tory leadership candidates? A gaggle. I came up with an ambition. An ambition of Tories. An ambition of Tory
0: leadership candidates. I love it. We're going to start using that in our house style. Okay. So we have eleven of them. Off the
1: top of your head. So
2: not a baker's dozen
1: yet. Not a baker's dozen yet, but possibly by the end of the day, um, we've got all the usual suspects: Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, Jeremy Hunt, Michael Gove, Sajid Javid, and then we've got some, we've got some kind of outsidery ones. We've got James Cleverley, um, who is currently a. Brexit minister and a former deputy chairman of the party. And then we've got Rory Stewart, the newly appointed International Development Secretary uh, who is one, one of the stranger candidates who seems to be cutting through. Um, and then we're missing some people that we were expecting. Um, Penny Mordaunt, we thought was definitely going to have a run at mm-hmm. it. Liz Truss,
0: yeah. we definitely no.
1: thought was going to have a run at it. She may still announce Penny Mordant, but Liz Truss has already ruled herself out. Uh, Philip Hammond has been kg, but big Phil. big Phil. I don't think he's gonna go for it, personally. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really mixed bag. So we're gonna have to see how many there is by uh, the the beginning of the process. There's still a bit of time for the the ones in the
0: shadows to come out. Anybody really surprised you since announcing their candidacy? Because obviously we were all expecting, like you say, Boris and and Rob to come out and and declare. Jeremy Hunt's been basically running a leadership campaign for the last two years at least. Um, Anybody that kind of, you know, any oh-my-god moments when someone declared?
1: Um, Not so many oh-my-god moments. Maybe more really? (laughs) Uh, Malthouse. Kit Malthouse. Really? Uh, Yeah. There's, There's been some sort of party... Functionaries or people who have had played a part in the Brexit process, um, who I think have maybe let some of the media attention go to their head. Okay, had you naming uh, any names there, John? Well, Kit Malthouse. We're also expecting that Graham Brady, the chairman of the nineteen twenty two committee, may also put his name forward. Again, he's been seen by the party sort of a, a brilliant chairman of the nineteen twenty two. This group of backbenchers he was the one who kept the secret of how many letters of no confidence had been sent into him the prime minister so in that regard he's done a great job but as a party functionary there doesn't seem to be much to him he's had to be so reserved in his views in that role that it's now surprising that he's putting himself forward because nobody really knows what he stands for on the other side I think the one I was surprised when Rory Stewart put his name forward because I think he's been seen as being so tied to Theresa May's deal. Even in its like, dying hours, he was the one out there on the media kind of batting for it and really making like an impassioned case for it. Not out of loyalty to Theresa May, I don't think, but I think just because he, he believes that getting a deal and getting Brexit out of the way is genuinely the most important thing that can happen. And that was the easiest way at the time, and therefore... He was going for it. But he's, he's come out and kind of set the race alight. But he, the way he's campaigning, going out, speaking to regular people, touring around the country is a great uh, job interview to be the prime minister. But what he's perhaps forgetting is that he is trying to win the leadership of the Conservative Party. Mm. And he's not doing that by speaking to people in markets or on the streets. Being Becoming prime minister is almost like the... The the second prize uh, in this, he needs to win over the members, and that's he's going to struggle with that because of his position on Brexit. Sienna, do you think any of these candidates are kind of keeping Jeremy Corbyn awake at night?
2: It's interesting because we did a Labour list survey a couple of weeks ago in which I asked people, um, "Who do you think would be?" most difficult for Jeremy to beat in a general election, who do you think would be worst as Prime Minister? And for both, they said Boris Johnson. <laughs> they said... So, kind of, worst of both worlds, I think, lo- most Labour members think, um, would be Boris Johnson winning, which, okay. uh, obviously, he is the favourite. Um, so, I think him... And I do think there's a point in that, because, while there are... There are similarities. so um, Some have argued that... Boris Johnson wouldn't be too bad because actually he's got some of the same flaws as Jeremy Corbyn in terms of kind of not being very sort of slick and professional and that kind of thing, not, not appearing very prime ministerial. But he, I think the greatest threat that he poses is the fact that he's this anti establishment figure, and that is the main USP of Jeremy. That was a key factor in the success in, in 2017, I think. So if he takes that away from the Labour Party and particularly maybe if the Labour Party becomes more of a Remain party, if he takes away that anti-establishment thing that they've got, I think that's a big threat.
0: Are there any candidates that, they, that Labour um, would love to take on that would kind of uh, be a dream come true for them?
2: I think many of them feel like actually Dominic Raab would be quite good to take on. Um, I'm not sure about that myself. I think that he would have quite a good honeymoon period, so it really does depend on all of this depends on when the general election comes and how far Brexit has been resolved.
0: So, John, let's talk about some of the big kind of battle lines that are already emerging in this this Tory race. Um, where are the candidates standing on, on Brexit? Because there's been a lot of talk about no deal again this week, something that we were repeatedly told Parliament had taken off the table, despite that not quite being the case. Um, who's gunning for a no-deal Brexit at this point?
1: Well, they're all kind of standing in various different positions, Dominic Raab's come out this, said, this morning and said that he would use all the levers of the executive to kind of force through a no deal um, which is an interesting position and I don't think one that is based in reality, but it'll play well with the Tory members, so perhaps that's why he said it um, Boris has very much put forward the position, sorry Boris Johnson I'm not going to fall into that trap, <laughs> Boris Johnson <laughs> Mr Johnson although I've taken to calling Rory Stewart just Rory so equal opportunities, mm, okay Um, he's sort of said October 31st is the date and if we don't have a deal we're out Uh, Jeremy Hunt's all over the place he's sort of said um, no deal would be political suicide but we're going to keep it on the table so keeping catastrophe and political suicide on the table is his position the only one who's kind of expressly ruled it out has been Rory Stewart He, I think in the whole um, glut of Candidates. He's the only one who's come out and said, I'm not going to let no deal happen. I won't stand for it. It's a dreadful thing to happen, and and I won't won't let it go ahead.
0: Sienna, the um, Tories took an absolute hammering at the uh, European elections from the Brexit party, Nigel Farage's new outfit. Obviously, the results um, weren't great for Labour either. But do you think it's inevitable that the Tories are now going to tack to the right in the wake of that result?
2: I mean obviously the euros were interpreted uh, by voters as well as commentators as a proxy second referendum and people were voting along the lines of you know brexit as far as we can tell so that is going to polarize the two main parties who flopped in those elections and yeah the tories are going to go more towards no deal on labor and labor more towards remain that's you know that's the inevitable consequence But, yeah, it has been striking, actually. Just the last few days, there's been a lot of socially conservative things coming out of Tory leadership contenders, especially Esther McVeigh this morning, actually. She's been talking about the LGBT schools' protests. And uh, so it has been covering that kind of thing, but also... Sajid Javid has been talking about uh, increasing police numbers when he's presided over police cuts. So, you know, there's some really interesting dynamics going on there and quite confusing messaging, to be honest.
0: The man who's been Home Secretary now for uh, mm. quite a while, it was an extraordinary intervention from, from Javid, actually, because he seemed to directly take a pop at Theresa May. Yeah. Do, you, do you think any of, the, any of the candidates are going to embrace any of her legacy or, or is it very much just a case of let, let, let's junk this and move on now?
2: I mean, she hasn't got much of a legacy. She obviously didn't, you know, she didn't have much of a d- domestic agenda being dominated by Brexit the whole time. Very odd that, again, today she's coming out and <laughs> starting to call for, uh, you know, various education policies to be implemented by the next prime minister. It's uh, quite odd considering she is, she is the prime minister and, just, and is just leaving now.
0: John, it's probably worth you talking to our listeners as you, I'm sure you're delighted to do through the mechanics of how the Tory race works, because it's not very clear to most people um, just how how powerful the membership really is here.
1: Yeah, so at the moment we're still we're still in the courting phase. the The leadership uh, contest doesn't actually begin until Theresa May steps down officially as Tory Party leader on the seventh of June. Um, at that point. We then get a period where all of the candidates who want to be put forward officially will have to declare. And then we go through a kind of two-stage process. The first stage is that these candidates get whittled down through a series of votes by Conservative MPs until we reach a final two, possibly. Um, Our editor, Kevin Schofield, did a story a couple of weeks ago saying that the Conservative Party executive were considering extending um, the rules so that the number of candidates that goes forward to a ballot of members is increased from two to four. We'll have to wait and see if that's going to happen. But when we get down to this final number, they're aiming to do that by um, the end of June. We'll then get a period where Conservative Party members will be asked to vote for the final candidate. And they are hoping to have that done by the end of Um, or sorry, before summer recess begins. So the expectation is that the new Prime Minister will be in place at some point in July, probably to do the last PMQs of the session uh, so they can get the kind of big moment in Parliament and then have a few weeks to kind of go out there and figure out how they're going to try and sort out Brexit. No, No big one.
2: Is there any appetite on the right of the Tory parliamentary party? Do they look at Labour's system of OMOR, one one vote for members, and get a bit jealous. Because, I mean, surely the hard Brexiteers, I'll say, are kind of looking at the field and thinking, you know, just to ensure that that Boris really gets through. We quite like that sort of system.
1: Yeah, I think think the final two will come down to either Boris or Dominic Raab as, like, the Brexiteers' choice. And at one point, one of the other will drop out, I think... And all of their MP support will shift that way to ensure that one of them ends up on the ballot, and then the other one. It depends, really. It could be more of an outsider. If you know Tory leadership contests are by no means a stitch up for the favourite, so we'll have to wait and see. It could be somebody like Rory Stewart, or it could be somebody like James Cleverley, or someone who's a bit more of an unknown. Um, I don't know if extending it to four would massively help them. It might end up kind of splitting the the Brexit. Support in the in the membership.
0: I was speaking to one Brexit minister yesterday, who was absolutely adamant that Jeremy Hunt will make it through to the final two. Um, do you think the introduction of kind of Michael Gove into the race makes that a little bit less likely now? Because he obviously, you know, torpedoed Boris Johnson's attempt to become Tory leader in twenty sixteen. He can hoover up some of those same votes, but he can also from his uh, time back as Education Secretary, say, look, I'm a modernising kind of Cameroon Tory MP?
1: I think he's probably one of the only Cabinet ministers throughout the May government who actually has something that he can point to that he's achieved. You know, like, his environmental agenda, he's actually gotten some things done that have been vaguely popular. He's one of the only Tories who's been able to get some policy through that's gotten some decent headlines for the party. But whether the membership forgive him for knifing Boris, the first time round, Boris Johnson... The first time round. <laughs> um, we we'll have to wait and see. He's also really tied to May's deal. Again, yeah. you know, he was always the one up in the Today programme when the government was falling apart. He fronted for May during the vote of no confidence. Um, so I don't really know how it's going to affect the dynamics. I, a lot the, the numbers show that it could possibly be a runoff between um, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove at the end, but I, I can't really see him doing that well, to be honest.
2: I feel like Michael Gove is coming from a simil- similar place to Jeremy Hunt, but mm. has more charisma. I mean, at the dispatch box, that, that speech that he made, you know, attacking Labour was very impressive. Yeah. Jeremy Hunt hasn't had any sort of star moments like that.
1: And when he gets... When Jeremy Hunt is let off the leash, when he's away from government, he, you know, he's, he's competent at, at putting forward a government policy position. But then as soon as he's asked his own thoughts... <laughs> He, or his wife. Sort he, of yeah, he kind of he you know compares the EU to the Soviet Union. I can remember four, four times he did that and then rode back and then did it and rode back and now he's said that his policy position for the leadership is to keep political suicide as a as an option in his back pocket. You know, I'm not sure as the campaign goes on whether he's going to end up covering himself in glory. But. <laughs>
0: Of course, the EU elections we were talking about, um, they weren't just tough for the Tories. Um, It's fair to say Labour took an absolute hammering. Uh, It came in third nationally behind both the Brexit party and the avowedly pro-Remain Lib Dems. The party was wiped out in Scotland uh, and also finished behind Plaid Cymru in Wales. Um, The recrimination started straight away on Sunday night, didn't they, Sienna? And um, we're now expecting a, a bit of a shift on Labour's second referendum position Who's been pushing Jeremy Corbyn for a change in stance?
2: Well, a, an awful lot of Labour MPs, obviously, who came out uh, in favour of another public vote months ago, even years ago, some of them, uh, and have been rallying around this campaign for some time, but also increasingly shadow cabinet members. I mean, Emily Thornbury was the first on, uh, on BBC News on Sunday night and instantly said, yep, Labour's... Brexit position, not clear enough, this isn't good enough, we need to move. So, you know, there are moves um, being made very explicitly. But also, most importantly, perhaps, uh, the membership. And, you know, Jeremy Corbyn was elected on the basis that he would listen to members, that he would actually increase democratic accountability of the leadership in the shadow cabinet. Um, So, you know, it is fairly clear that members are more pro-EU than the shadow cabinet, and more anti-Brexit. So that pressure is really important, especially in the run-up to conference in September.
1: you think he will be able to maintain this holding pattern until conference? Or do you think that it's going to get too much and they're going to have to either call a special conference or there'll be some other process? Because it seems, with all this pressure from the shadow cabinet, the membership clearly more favouring Remain a second referendum... You know, can they really wait until six weeks before the deadline to decide how they're going to deal with Brexit?
2: Of course, a lot of people are complaining that waiting until September is just too long. But I think that is why they are making more positive noises about another referendum before then. And I mean, speaking to Labour NEC members, members of the ruling body, they're just incredibly sceptical about the whole idea, a lot of them the whole idea of calling a special conference. And, you know, we've got to remember that there's the summer coming up, there's mm-hmm. a long recess, there aren't going to be any NEC meetings, not not going to be local party meetings in August, so I think it's difficult to see, like, firm action being taken before then. But there is this anti-Brexit motion in the works and being passed by local parties in the run-up to September. So, you know, if that passes a conference, that would make Labour... Absolutely committed to another referendum, no caveats, but also would make Labour the Remain party in that campaign.
0: Tom Watson, Labour's deputy, um, has been talking about the idea of an online ballot of members on Brexit. Is that? I mean, you know, you know your Labour onions. Um, is that in any way a realistic proposition?
2: I think it is a real... I mean, yeah, there was there was this hilarious poll that um, Tom Watson did on his website. 8,000
0: 8, Tom Watson fans. Yeah, exactly.
2: So. said 8 out of 10 Tom Watson fans love Tom Watson's idea. Um, yeah, I think it is a realistic prospect because it's been done before a poll of members uh, online um, in terms of, you know, foreign intervention. So it seems like, you know, depending on the subject, Jeremy might be in favour of that kind of idea. But in terms of actually implementing it, I'm not sure what kind of processes that would have to go through. Whether that's something the leadership could just take on themselves, or whether the NEC would be involved in any way. But I don't think there's enough appetite for it to make it actually happen.
0: So you don't think a survey monkey organised by Tom Watson <laughs> is gonna is gonna shift <laughs> Labour's Brexit policy. I don't. That's interesting. Um, JJ, I'm going to ask you another question. I've, I've, I've tried to give you all the um, technical administrative questions today yeah. because I, I, I just feel like, I'm, like bullying you for some reason. Um, what is Labour's current position on a second referendum as of quarter to twelve on a Thursday?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're in a kind of different position. Some, as we were saying, some of the shadow cabinet are pushing and being more explicit about support for a second ra- referendum. Um, you correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, they are still primarily pushing for there to be a general election. That this goes back to the people in some form, whether that's a general election, whether that is a referendum on any deal that Parliament comes up with, but that seems unlikely. Um, you know, the 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 kind of underlying position is we will do whatever it takes to stop a Tory no deal brexit that's that's the line, but how that actually happens seems a little bit kind of difficult to explain because i 'm not sure how they push for a general election just now we don't think there's going to be a deal, so at what point you know What point do these things trigger?
2: I think this is the important thing that nobody is talking about, and I find it really, really frustrating. I mean, I think in terms of the shift over the last week since the Euros results have come out, I think the change has been Jeremy saying, this needs to go back to people, whether it's in a general election or another public vote, and that's being kind of put on equal footing, so it could be either or. Whatever's most likely will be happy with that. But no one's talking about how does another referendum actually happen? Because the Prime Minister said, "Okay, you know, get WAB through second reading, then you get your vote on another referendum. And, you know, if you get a majority for that, then it's attached to the bill. And that was the plan all along. That is the Kyle Wilson plan. But the PVers didn't accept that idea. They said, oh, no, actually, they kind of shifted the goalposts and said, oh, no, it has to be on the face of the bill now. Well, that was never the idea a few months ago. So it's difficult. I mean, they they didn't like that idea because they know they don't have a majority for it.
0: You you mentioned the, the People's Vote campaign there. Um, how widespread is is the fear that, that the, the People's Vote campaign is sort of a, a, a proxy way of bashing Jeremy Corbyn around the head?
2: That is absolutely the concern of most Corbynites. And, you know, it is difficult because I think the reason the public vote idea is making progress is because the Labour left is split on it. So you've got the right, apart from blue Labour, Paul Embry, those kind of people, you've got the right mostly saying, uh, yeah, we want another referendum, but it's now the left as well. So we've got, like, Manuel Cortes from TSSA and Open Labour and another Europe is possible. The people who are, you know, referred to as trots in the Labour Party, basically, who are more pro-EU, they're pushing for it as well and they're saying, you know, we're not against unseating Jeremy. But we want his policy on this to change, and there's been huge rows over Paul Mason articles in particular, because he's basically—I mean, some people have said he's calling for uh, Corbyn without Corbynism, rather than Corbynism without Corbyn, which is a bit of a weird one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we we saw a, a pretty extraordinary, um, was well, certainly the kind of row that, that we love in the the Westminster bubble um, uh, over, over the. Uh, the course of this week of Alistair Campbell the former Director of Communications for uh, Tony Blair um, declaring that he'd actually voted Lib Dem in the uh, EU elections and then being swiftly kicked out of the party um, how's that move gone down with um, Labourist readers
2: well I haven't done my latest survey yet but it seems from the emails and tweets that I've been getting that I mean of course Labour members are totally split on it because I mean a lot of them Patently did vote Lib Dem or Green in the latest elections, so obviously they're going to be against that booting out of Alice Campbell. Although I would say that announcing on national telly that you voted Lib Dem because Labour are crap on Brexit is slightly different from just telling your local candidate, "Oh, I don't think I can vote for you this time" on the doorstep. I I totally I think that Alistair Campbell's expulsion was completely fair enough. It's auto exclusion is in the rule book, and Alice Campbell knew that that would happen.
0: the The argument on the other side, of course, is that there's a little bit of uh, hypocrisy in this because um you know Jeremy Corbyn himself is, is no stranger to backing causes outside the uh, the sort of mainstream Labour fold. Who's been kind of making that case?
1: Well there's these two former uh Labour cabinet ministers, Charles Clark's the ex Home Secretary, and um Bob Ainsworth, former Defence Secretary, who both came out and said look, we voted one of us supposed to live down, the other one voted green, uh, are you gonna kick us out too? And now we've had this extraordinary Twitter campaign of apparently Labour members sort of saying the same thing with this hashtag, expel me too, uh, kind of goading the leadership into, into doing it. Um, it does seem like maybe this wasn't done according to the rules. Not to say that this this was you know, they saw this as a good opportunity to boot out Campbell, who I'm assuming is not the most loved uh, high-profile Labour supporter no, by the no leadership, but that this was just a kind of misinterpretation of of how the rules are are made up, and that um, you know I think Shami Chakrabarti this morning said that there will probably be a review of this, um, and Lord Falconer was on yesterday another Labour peer saying that you know uh, Alistair should um, try and have this suspension overturned, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. I think I think a lot of people are angry because. He came out and said this and was immediately expelled. And we now have this EHRC, Equality and Human Rights Commission, investigation into anti Semitism within the Labour Party. And the kind of process that we've seen of some members who have been posting these kind of things or making these comments, and it's been dragged out over years. So there's a bit of a kind of mismatch there. People see well, why are the rules so explicit and so clear and quickly acted on on one side and not so much on the other.
2: But I mean that is that is how the rule book works. I mean, people are right to point out that Labour's disciplinary, disciplinary process is slow and has been mm-hmm. just flawed in so many ways. But I mean, the rule book very clearly states that auto exclusion applies when you express support for a candidate that has stood against a Labour candidate. So it is a completely different. It's a separate issue to the fact that the disciplinary process is flawed. <laughs>
0: Talked a little bit about how the the mechanics of a second referendum and how unlikely it seems. Um, are we any closer after these European election results to seeing a, a fresh public vote on on Brexit? I,
1: I think it's hard just from the European election. It, you know, we 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 saw what we already know in this that the the country split, uh, and you can't read too much into them. It, you know, people use it as a protest vote. It's very likely that traditional voters, you know, Labour base and Tory base didn't come out, you know, the turnout was very low. But what we did see was um, you saw Labour losing in leave backing seats to the Brexit Party and saw them losing in Remain voting areas to the Greens or to the Lib Dems. So, and that was happening, you know, with the Conservatives as well, they were hemorrhaging votes to the Brexit Party. But so, also
2: to the Lib Dems which uh, is really To the Lib Dems.
1: And to, I've spoken to four or five Tory activists in to be fair, in London, um, who all voted Lib Dem. You know, they were willing to vote. They said we probably wouldn't do it in a general election, but in the Euros we did because we're unhappy with how the parties are doing this in Brexit. Um, I'm not sure whether that pushes us definitely closer to a second referendum because we still don't know how that's going to come about. But I think certainly... as The further we go down the road, I think a general election is becoming more likely. I think a second referendum is becoming more likely. I think the least likely option of the three is that we end up with a no deal, because I think Parliament will step in to block that. But I think the other two options probably are now a bit more a bit more likely than they were before.
2: Speaker Burko staying on is very, very important to that dynamic, of course. Because otherwise, you know, you could see maybe a situation where, because there are, it's actually quite difficult for Parliament to stop no deal in some ways, uh, but you know, John Burko is going to find a way to facilitate that, we would assume.
1: I think with, with Dominic Raab sort of essentially saying today, if I become Prime Minister, I will use the levers of power to bully this through Parliament, that even if they're against it, um, is, is gamesmanship for leadership. I, th- I think if it came down to it, there's enough Conservative MPs who've been in Parliament for a long time, who I think would... Possibly make the decision to put what they would see as country before party, mm. and and vote against their own government mm. uh, as like the final thing to sort of say I've had my time here, uh, and I'm willing to sort of to to bring down a Tory government if it means avoiding a no deal. Perhaps I'm thinking too too well of
2: that. Is the big question MPs, but... whether they're courageous enough to do that? And there was an interesting line in the Katie Ball's interview that we were talking about uh, with Dominic Raab this morning is him saying at the end, yeah, I doubt Dominic Grieve would actually bring down the government. I I don't know whether he said that before or after I recently had lunch with him. You know, some sort of cheeky line like that. So, yeah, that is the main question.
0: And the Tory Remainers have shown before that they are willing to fold when, when push comes to shove, right? Yeah. We, we saw that repeatedly in the uh, the meaningful vote. So many times. Um, guys, I'm, I'm always a big fan of mindlessly speculating, so do either of you think we could genuinely see a third Prime Minister this year?
1: This year? Uh, Yeah, I think it's possible. I think if something uh, like what we were talking about happens, that uh, someone pushes for a no deal or something through Parliament, that that they might end up losing control of Parliament and and facing a no-confidence vote. Yeah, definitely. Jeremy Corbyn?
2: Yeah, and that is why Labour desperately does want to hold on to its... Uh, our message is
0: the many, not the few, not remain or leave. Because they see if it comes down to, like, another leave, remain, divide. Yeah. That's, there's no future for them in that. Exactly. In that I mean,
2: the European election showed that there is no majority for leave or, or remain. So, mm. actually, you know, the parties that had a confusing message did really badly, but also there wasn't a clear majority for either the remain remain or leave side.
1: But do you think that would work in a general election? You know, they keep people keep saying if you walk in the middle of the road you get hit by traffic on both sides You know, could, could Labour sustain that fence sitting in a general election?
2: I mean Labour members don't think so or at least don't want Labour to but I think personally I think it's the least worse strategy. Becoming the Remain party is guaranteed to just basically, you're throwing MPs like Lisa and Andy to the wolves, you're just saying bye bye. <laughs>
0: Um, Guys, so it's just time to talk about your weirdest stories of the week. Um, I appreciate this is increasingly difficult uh, as the weeks go
1: on. But, um, John, anything that's caught your eye this week? Um, I think possibly one of the most surprising stories of the week has been, and it's also a bit bit weird, is that Boris Johnson is going to have to go to court. He's been summoned to court now um, on the back of a private prosecution, by a kind of Remain campaigner businessman who's crowdfunded over £200,000 to raise this private prosecution against Boris Johnson, uh, essentially accusing him of misconduct uh, in a public office. So a very serious charge. If he was to be found guilty, the, the, the top end of the sentencing is life imprisonment. Um, so this, yeah, this went to, to court. Nobody really expected, uh, they were applying for a summons. Nobody really expected the judge to grant the summons, but they did, the judge in the Westminster Magistrates Court, she didn't make any judgment on the, the arguments, but said there's a case to be answered here, and therefore Boris is going to have to go uh, for a preliminary hearing, going to have to show up in person, and then the uh, case will get passed on to the Crown Court for a trial. It might not go that far... The public prosecutor can step in and nix it, as far as I'm aware, if he said there's no real veracity to it. But it's a fascinating thing to happen. It's raised all kinds of questions about how are MPs held to account for what they say on the campaign trail. You know, If they're in a, in a public office, as, as Boris Johnson was an MP throughout the whole European referendum campaign, You know, this, this whole thing centres on the £350 million a week for the NHS uh, line that they used... It's going to be fascinating and, and interesting to see how it will affect the leadership contest. You may see the, the <laughs> favourite to become the Prime Minister of the country Get getting... <laughs> well, probably not actually having anything happen to him, but you know, there's going to be press taking pictures of him going in and coming out of court. But which that is, is a
2: boost, I think. That's a boost for his campaign. And I think it plays into what we were talking about earlier about... Boris Johnson being this anti-establishment figure it plays into all of that
1: yeah he, ser- he certainly sort of painted it as this is an entirely, this is a stunt mm. um, which a lot of people to be fair had seen it a lot of people hadn't really taken it seriously because they never thought it would go as far as it has um, and he has sort of pointed out that this has been you know is the company it's that has been doing the crowdfunds called Brexit Justice, and he said this isn't about improving the quality of public debate. This is really about you're unhappy that I was one of the key players in the Leave campaign. You don't like the outcome of the referendum, and therefore I'm a target. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens. This, this is fascinating.
0: We've already seen a few of the other Tory leadership candidates kind of weigh in on this and suggest it's a, it's a pretty ridiculous course of action to be, to be taking. Um, Sienna, is there anything... Uh, this week, that's topped the prospect of Boris Johnson being caged in his first 100 days of as Prime Minister.
2: <laughs> I think Rory Stewart, as a person, as a campaigner, has took us has taken us all by surprise. I mean, this campaign that he, <laughs> that he's been conducting, mostly via social media, especially Twitter, has been. Hilarious, really, and brought us all a lot of joy. <laughs> uh, Twitter centrists, particularly, have absolutely loved it. But you know, him posting this video from Kew Gardens saying, You know, come talk to me, even though obviously you have to pay to get in, uh, <laughs> just come talk to me. And then he, it looked like he was sort of pretending to hold the camera. And then someone said, uh, Rory, are you pretending to hold the camera? And he said, Yes. Straight talking,
1: honest politics. We've been calling for this for so long. It was incredible. And then he jumped on the TV this morning and said, yeah, I smoked opium at an Afghan wedding.
2: Yeah, class A drugs have really become a dividing line in this contest, which I also am enjoying.
1: I mean, it's a step up from fields of wheat, to be fair. big
2: step up, yeah.
1: (laughs) That's true, fields of opium.
0: Fields of opium. (laughs) Fields of poppies. Yeah. Um, On that incriminating note... Um, That is all we've got time for on the podcast this week Uh, Thank you so much for listening And don't forget you can sign up to our free Seven day a week breakfast briefing email By going to politicshome.com Forward slash register You can also check out all of Sienna's work On the Labour List website And sign up for their own brilliant morning email Um, Thank you guys both for Joining us this week And uh, let's go wander around Kew Gardens